So I wanted to talk this evening about um, using the body as a way or embodiment as a way of navigating the path in our daily life. Um, you know, so often people have a, um, a sense of um, a separation between a retreat kind of context or a group or meditation kind of context in daily life. There's almost like this huge chasm between the two of them. And so any of us who've been meditating for a little while have a real appreciation for the kind of steadiness and stillness that comes when we're meditating or on retreat. And for many of us, there's a gulf between that and what happens all the rest of the time. And um, it's almost as if there's a kind of like... Um, membrane and the meditation does not um, come into the other parts of our life and you know any time we're interested in cultivating meditation more than just in a superficial way we're going to have to look at this because uh, the idea is for meditation not to be compartmentalized into you know one corner of our life where we have a group from four to six on Saturday and the rest of life it goes to hell but the idea is this is that there's a way of bringing together the qualities of mindfulness and clarity and understanding into um, all the different parts of our life. And so I was glad tonight that John offered some Qigong exercises because I can just feel the difference of what happens when the body has energy that's been moving through it. The warmth, the openness, the flexibility, the level of qi, the, the tangible ability to feel the energy in the body and how much easier it is for attention to rest in the body sense when the body has had some um, conscious awareness movement energy work beforehand. So part of what we're fighting is, is, is that we're not feeling our bodies. Our bodies are getting tight and tense. And then when we sit down, we don't want to be with our bodies because they're uncomfortable. So there's a kind of resistance to letting our attention settle in our body because the first thing that we have to experience is the stagnant energy, the congestion, the lack of mobility, the lack of flexibility, the tightness that's present because we've been tensing our body without actually being aware of it as we've gone through our normal daily life activities. So in this situation where we spend some time and deliberately open things up and relax them and move with them and bring more sense of a mindfulness to posture and to breath and letting things flow and deliberately use energy and movement in order to clear some of the garbage out of the system, then when we settle and sit down, then it's much, much easier to sit with what's happening and for the mind to go into a state of, of steadiness and concentration. So we can see that our framing meditation is just being about sitting, not necessarily the best thing for us. There might be, what might be more helpful is if we spend some time doing awareness and movement first initially, or standing or walking meditation initially, or, you know, if we got some videotapes of a 15-minute Qigong routine that we could do 
um, by ourselves, you know, that would help us connect with all of our own energy systems so that when we sat, our body was um, more flexible and relaxed and warm and open so that our attention could rest easily with it. Now, what is helpful is to learn periodically through the day to move one's attention into one's body and just to get a feeling for what's actually happening here. So when we have a 20-minute period of time or 25-minute period of time where we're doing qigong as a focused kind of set, you can see, you know, the warmth, the openness, the flexibility, the relaxation. You know, it just feels so wonderful. And yet it's not that often that we've got John here teaching or we've got an instructor that we can follow. But what we can do is we can bring our attention to our body throughout the course of the day. Um, We can feel our feet when we're walking. We can feel our hand holding a doorknob. We can feel our self brushing our teeth. We can feel the clothes as we put them on our bodies. We can feel the warmth of the water when we take a shower. We can let our sense come back to what's happening in our body regularly throughout the day and do that more and more and more as a sense of this is the framework or the place or the perspective that gives us the ability to measure what's actually happening in our world and our mind and all the rest of that. Now, what happens for a, a lot of people is, is, is that you know the kind of complexity of what we're navigating and the decisions that we have to make and the kind of information we have to process requires a certain amount of um, thinking and um, conceptual processing. And that conceptual processing by its nature takes us away from how we're feeling in our body. And the conceptual processing has with it sometimes an underlying feeling of anxiety that I'm not getting it done fast enough and so I have to think more or process more or do it more like this. And so the thinking then generates a sense that I have to think my way through this problem and the next problem and the following problem because that's the way that I know how to solve all my problems. But what we need to recognize is is that the thinking is one way, one of our intelligences, but not all of them. And our ability to let our attention relax into our body is another intelligence. And that has a kind of discernment in it that can then give us some kind of a feedback about whether our intellect has an underlying anxiety with it that we need to back off from and reground ourselves, or whether we're in fact right on track and we need just to go ahead. Now, one of the things that I hear a lot from people in many different quarters is a feeling of overwhelm that there simply is way too much that's happening to be able to navigate it on any level, you know, in an easeful way. And so there's a sense of trying to catch up and never quite being on top of things and, like, always feeling like there's more to be done. And so what tends to happen is is that it tends to go into the weakest link. And so the weakest link is, is that if we tend to worry, we worry. If we tend to procrastinate, we procrastinate. If we tend to space out, we space out. We tend to get tight and tense, we tend to get tight and tense. And so what is recognized is, is that when there's a feeling of overwhelm that's present, first of all, we need to just bring attention to that and to get a sense of, well, how are we feeling overwhelmed, you know? Are we feeling tight? Are we feeling tense? Are we feeling anxious? Are we spacing out? Are we procrastinating? How are we experiencing the feeling of overwhelm? Now, overwhelm will be something that we know in our body. It's not only something that we feel in our moods and our emotions. 
It's actually something that we feel in our body. And we can also understand that the way we respond to overwhelm is also going to have a huge impact on how we are going to be able to navigate this. Now, one of the things that really is not very helpful is if you have the idea that you're not supposed to feel overwhelmed. So if you have that feeling, you know, that this is not an okay feeling, then there's going to be a resistance to what's going on, and that resistance is going to make it much more difficult to just be with what's going on. You know, this is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Now, a lot of times, part of the reason why we feel overwhelmed is because we have the feeling or the idea that we are supposed to feel comfortable and confident and capable with everything that we're experiencing all the time. And however which way we got this idea, you know, it's an erroneous idea. Nobody feels comfortable and confident and capable with everything all the time. Nobody, under any circumstance, do they feel like that. So there's a conflict between the belief of what I'm supposed to feel and the reality of what I actually feel. And then that conflict generates energy, and that energy generates more reaction, and that more reaction either causes a cascade of something which is positive or something which is negative. And most of the time, we're not responding to these cascades in a way which is healthy. We're responding to these cascades in a way which increases all of our negative patterning and habits and decreases our ground with what is skillful and how, and, 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 and gives us more ability to navigate what is happening. Now, I uh, am just re, again, you know, one of the things of Dad's departure is it's navigated my midlife hormone change. And anybody who's in the middle of major hormone changes knows that life can be, like, really crazy really quick, you know. Like these huge kinds of fluctuations. And it's like, you know, where does this come from? And I have, I'm learning again how to navigate this with energy and some discipline and getting the right sequence of when I'm off the computer and when I'm exercising and when I'm meditating and when I'm resting and energy routines that I can do in order to keep the hormones in balance and all the rest of that. If I'm not doing that, then what's happening with the hormones is is that they're causing fluctuations in the mood that are so um, strong, it's hard to have any ground with it. So there needs to be some capacity to come back into something that feels more balanced, and that balance then gives me capacity to stay balanced. When I'm out of balance, it spirals more in that direction. And so one needs to have some discipline and some information about what things are needed as particular kinds of interventions to bring my system back into balance with what I'm dealing with right now. And with each of us, it's going to be a little bit different what those tools are going to look like, you know. So, you know, you're going to have different places that are weak spots for you and different places that you're going to need to develop tools. But one of the ways of being successful in this world is to understand that these fluctuations are normal and what's needed is just resources on how to deal with it rather than the expectation that they not be there. Yeah. So starting uh, a new graduate program, you know, somebody starting a new work program, you know, another friend of mine is also dealing with menopausal hormonal fluctuations. And it's like each of us is dealing with stuff that looks a little bit different, but we're requiring to have a tool set or a skill set that helps us navigate where we're at. 
Now, one of the things that really is important is referencing this in terms of what's going on in our body. And coming back to finding days or times during the day when one can deliberately relax. And what that does that look like, you know? And so, you know, when there's such an overwhelming amount of information to read or to process or to deal with, it seems like time really um, compresses. And so rather than being able to take out an hour or two or three to be able to do a qigong exercise process and get some running in and have a sit for 45 minutes, one needs to begin to learn how to bring those things into the daily life activities so that you're not setting aside special time specifically for that, but that that ends up being more and more part of what you're doing. So one of the things that I really appreciated about what John did this afternoon with us was posture. So we can we can tune into our posture no matter what we're doing. And we can see if we're slunched or we're slouched or we're you know we're tight or we're tense or we can see how we are sitting or how we're standing or how we are walking. And we can let our posture be a place where we begin to get a little bit more alignment and balance and relaxation as a kind of like an input into our day rather than a special activity that we're doing separate from everything else. And then we can notice when we have periods of time where we are working with somebody who's leading us, you know, what it does feel like to feel relaxed. So when you have the experience of relax, then that's a contrast to when we feel tense. If we're tense all the time, we don't have any contrast to know that we're tense. Okay? So that it is helpful to make an effort to put some time in some point, you know, however often one can, where one can really get a feeling of what right posture is and what relaxation is and what it feels like to let the mind really dwell in awareness of the body and the breath. Because when we feel what that feels like, that can help us bring the tools and the skills when we're not there. Yeah. So, you know, when you're reading a book or when you are working on the computer or when you're in a class taking an exam, you can tune into your posture. You know, you don't have to be in a separate space to do that, you know. When you're in your office, you know, or when you're sitting in front of a person picking at their teeth, you know, you can tune into your posture. And so posture can be a, a, a place where we can bring some relaxation and balance and alignment into every part of our life. And check it out. You know, if we're tense, we can relax. It doesn't mean we need to stop reading. But we can just take a moment to scan what's happening and, and relax. The more we're relaxed in our body, the more that our attention is able to stay with our body, the more that we have an intuitive knowledge resource that we can tap into to guide us for what else is going on. And some frame of reference when, you know, it feels like, well, we're, we're, we're spending a lot of time thinking, but the productivity is not, um, we're still not catching up with what we need to do. Now, another thing that we need to work with with this is the sense of um, not being on top of it. So the other side of the feeling of not being on top of it is the fear of losing it. And so these two things come together, the not being on top of it and the fear of losing it. And it was really interesting to me, um, speaking with Ajahn Pasano 
Ajahn Pasuna was the abbot of the monastery in Ukiah. And um, I have an enormous amount of respect for this monk. He's really an extraordinary monk, a very strong practice, a very lovely monk. And he was the abbot of the forest monastery in Thailand for, I don't know, 17 or 18 years. And while he was the abbot of that monastery, Ajahn Shah got sick, and they had to plan for you know, eventually what was going to happen when he died and what that was going to be like. Now, Ajahn Chah is a world-renowned meditation master, and when he died, they had a state funeral for him, and half a million people came. So here you have a forest monastery in, like, northeast Thailand that's used to having, you know, relatively small gatherings, and then all of a sudden it's going to be a place where 500,000 people are going to come. So they had to figure out, you know, what they needed to do in order to prepare for 500,000 people coming to a place that normally, at the most, only has a couple thousand, all right? So he's dealing with forest meditation masters who didn't go to university and have engineering, or they didn't even study math. And so, like, you know, you're sitting in a group with all of these elders, and, you know, they're having a discussion about how many toilets you need. Well, for a forest meditation master, ten toilets is a lot of toilets, so they need ten. And <laughs> they need ten, so they come to the decision they need ten. They get up and they walk out of the room because it's just finished. The discussion's over. You know, and Ajahn Pasana was like, well, it's not over. Ten toilets is not enough toilets. And, you know, it's like, all right. So you've got 500,000 people that are coming. The king and the queen of Thailand are going to be presiding. It's like you've got logistics that are, you know, from here to the end of nowhere. And 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 the days were 18-hour days. And that's the way it was for the whole year before uh, the actual uh, cremation uh, and the memorial ser- service. Okay. So an endless amount of stuff to do. You wake up in the morning, it's endless. You go to bed and it's endless. And so it's like, well, all right, so how do you deal with an endless amount of stuff? And he said it was a really good learning for him to pick up his list and to attend to one thing at a time on his list until he got it done. And then when it was time to go to bed, whatever time that was, he would go to bed and drop it, pick up in the morning and start again. Okay? And so at any one point in time, you can only focus on one thing at a time to know what you're focusing on and how long you can focus on it and then go to the next thing. And so, you know, he was he was not only involved in all of this, but he was one of the key organizers for all of this and having to deal with, you know, Sangha politics and complexity with, you know, a Thai forest elder who thinks ten toilets is plenty and 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 walks out of the meeting because he's finished with the conversation. And, you know, this is what he had to deal with. And and he learned how to bring the practice into that environment where he was working 18 hours a day nonstop for a solid year with no time off for good behavior. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, I don't know how many years it took after that for him to, like, you know, want to kind of, like, you know, his face would go like this, you know, every time he mentioned work. You know, it took a long time for him to be willing to re-engage with work, you know. But he did it. And, you know, I wasn't at the ceremony, but I, I heard from the people who were at the ceremony, they they had enough toilets, they had they built roads, they had to build a whole thing that they actually um, cremated his body in. 
they managed it they did it and um, you know very very instructive learning so one of the things which is really helpful in any kind of a context like this is to frame you know what is it that you're actually learning and so the the learning first of all you know certainly there's a master's degree in social work that's one part of the learning but the other part of learning is how you're actually working with your own mind how you're working with your own mind how you're working with your own body and how you're working with your own practice and so if you have things around you that remind you that what you're learning about is how to bring your practice into the moment, that that actually is your main learning, then that will help you navigate all the other learnings. You know, I mean, it's my my belief, it's my bias that the practice, when the practice is the kind of um, basis, then everything else fits around it. That's my experience. It might be that other people have different experience, but that's my experience. And so what we need to do is to begin to see where we have these membranes that separate our sense of what practice is from what we our sense of what practice is, and we begin to let them massage and dissolve so that practice then becomes our posture, our attitude, our values, our presence, our awareness in everything that we're doing throughout the day. You know, And there's a kind of, it becomes seamless, the sense of just continual flow. So, you know, I I was talking with a friend just yesterday about the things that I'm navigating right now. And, you know, they're not trivial. None of them are. And I've got several of them on my plate all at the same time. And and I said, you know, it's not excruciating. It just requires discipline and, and, and consistent effort. And she said, well, that might have something to do with the fact that you've been meditating for 30 years because what I'm experiencing right now is excruciating. So, you know, framing it, just understanding. And also, for me, understanding my limits. So right now, with what I'm dealing with, it's not really helpful for me to be erratic. I need to be disciplined. I need to get up early. I need to have a whole routine before I eat breakfast. I need to shut the computer off around 6 or 7 o'clock at night, do exercise. I need to take, you know, I have a whole thing I need to do. And so it's not helpful to be free flow and spontaneous. That's a disaster right now. You know, I need routine and I need to have these things kind of set up so that when I sleep, I sleep well, I wake up and I don't feel completely strung out, you know. Like, you know, I've been on speed all night or something, you know. So I'm seeing that it's not helpful for me to move around a lot. It's not helpful for me to change plans really quickly. So all the things that normally is really easy for me to do is not easy for me to do right now. So I just have to see, yeah, I feel very able to navigate what I'm navigating, but I have to be very disciplined and very careful about the parameters that I'm doing that within. Now, everyone is going to have their own whatevers that they're dealing with right now but what's really important is to recognize that we each have limits and in our limits means that we have to figure out you know how do we frame this so that it actually works best for us and not shoot ourselves in the foot you know every minute where we are going against what we know is actually what we need to do because there's some kind of conflict and idea or values about well I like being spontaneous you know I don't like being disciplined but in this particular situation, for me, if I did that, I would be, you know, I, you'd, be, you'd come and you'd see me, I'd be in tears all the time, you know. It's just like, you know, I just could, I can't, you know, I'm not able to do that right now. And, it, you know, I'm sure it's going to shift, everything changes, but for right now, that's not what's helpful. So, and learning how to work with our own body, work with our own body energies, understand how to relax is absolutely central. 
you know it's really a central thing it's not a kind of like it's a nice thing that we do sometimes before it's central and what's really helpful is to understand how we can meditate in a way that can actually support that kind of relaxation so that it's not that we're meditating and we're fighting with ourselves we're actually meditating and allowing ourselves to relax very deeply and let this deep kind of connection of awareness and the body come you know So, you know, body can be the place that we navigate, you know, the kind of vicissitudes that we have to deal with in our daily life. And it's um, it's not an easy thing to do, and yet it's not a complicated thing to do. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's a simple thing and it's not easy because our habit energy is to not do that. Our habit energy is to not be with our bodies, to not relax. Our habit energy is to put a lot of emphasis on how we think and to think that we're going to be able to figure everything out with our intellect. And, you know, that just simply is not my experience. This is not the way I have experienced the way things unfold. And so, you know, when my when I'm operating from a place of, of body awareness, then my intellect can support what is right, but it's not it's not driving the ship. I've got a deeper intuitive awareness which is driving the ship. And that intuitive awareness is something that I feel I can rely on. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.